Well, good morning, Crosswinds. Hey, uh, as I get started this morning, I kind of want to try something with you. Um, we're in a little bit of a game mode right now. You know what I find around here? Uh, when we're doing something like we're doing out in the fields with this Christmas walkthrough, all of our creative energy is zapped. So what we end up doing is just playing a lot of games, and that's okay. Stand up with me. We're going to play another one. You just finished one with Derek. Uh, I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to see if you can tell what is wrong with the picture. We're going to make a game out of this. Um, I know last week we did the family feud. I'm going to ask you to stand up again, uh, get in uh, groups with the people around you, maybe just a group of like four or five or six, somebody you don't know, though. It's a good chance to meet some other people at your church. And once you are ready and you've got your group, you got your group, I'll put the first picture up and we will see what group gets it first, all right? So what I want you to do, when your group knows what's wrong with the picture, you're going to raise your hand and uh, we'll see if that group is the one that wins, okay? So here we go. What is wrong with this picture? See if your group can come up with it. I'll give you five seconds. Uh-oh, I think my mic cut out. This group right here got it first. What's wrong with the picture? What's that? 31 days in June. How many of you got that? There's actually only 30 days in June. Okay. All right, now here, we're going to do another. This one is harder. This is a woman in a fitting room trying on a hat. What is wrong with this picture? Go ahead, take some time. See if your group can get it. Okay, I saw a group up there get it first. Waiting to see more groups get this. Okay, they're starting to get it over here. They think they may have it over here. A wavy arms. Anybody not getting this one yet? Okay, the reflection of her arms is backwards. Her watch is on the wrong wrist in the reflection. Lost a lot, a lot wrong with that. Okay, one more, one more. This is a picture of a boat at port. What is wrong with this picture? Go ahead, discuss it. Raise your hand if you got it. I think I saw you guys first. Yeah? Give me a little more time for everybody else to get it. Okay, here we go. What's wrong? The dock entrance is too narrow for the ship. Everybody get that? No way for that boat to fit in there. All right, how'd you do? Every group get all three of them eventually? Well done. All right, great. Go ahead, have a seat. Go ahead, have a seat. Okay. It is not too hard to look at those pictures and figure out what's wrong, right? It just takes a little focus, a little concentration on what's missing in the picture or, or what's messed up about the picture. And, and part of why I had you do that is because I, I hope it might help you start to think a little bit about a person in your life. And this might be a person that you work with every single day. This could be a person you live with or you share an apartment with, somebody in your family. Uh, might be a roommate you find yourself having to be extra patient with. Could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't know why they do what they do. While we're all able to look at a picture like that and find something wrong, chances are very good you know someone who finds something wrong with every picture everywhere. As I say that, I'm talking about the person in your life who seems to always be correcting you or overly concerned that we are not doing things the right, proper way. They are the person in your life who always seems to notice and point out that something is wrong. And this morning, we're going to talk about how to get along with them. But first, let me give you some more examples of this kind of person so you know who we're talking about, right? 
They're the one in school who always reminded the teacher that they forgot to give homework. <laughs> They're the one that you were in a band with in high school who was no fun to be in a band with because they were a perfectionist and they made you keep rehearsing the song over and over until you got every single thing in the song right. They are the person who, when you were at your in-laws this last few weeks at Thanksgiving, tried to organize everyone to wear color-coordinated clothes so that you could take your family picture, and they were upset with you because your kids weren't wearing the right shade of red. This Christmas morning, when you open a fruitcake that somebody gives your family, and you say, we got this gift from who? They're the one who says, no, we got this gift from whom? Do I need to keep going? You have someone in your life who may be kind of like this person. Um, see this guy up here we're going to put up? Does everybody know who this is? This is Brainy Smurf. He is the Smurf who thinks he knows everything about everything and is constantly trying to correct everybody else in Smurf Village. Um, real quick, the Smurfs TV show, uh, the Saturday morning cartoon came out in 1981. I was nine years old, and this was all the rage. Everybody was watching the Smurfs. And what I love about life is that when somebody around my age asks me, hey, what is so-and-so like? Um, I can say, eh, you know, they're a little bit brainy Smurf. And the person I, I, who asked me that knows exactly what I mean. Uh, the other thing I love is when I went online to find a picture of Brainy Smurf, every single one of them had his finger out as if to say, wait a second, hold on, you're getting something wrong. Anyway, chances are good you know this person. And, and, and maybe, maybe you've just learned to deal with it and let their corrections and their attempts at control to get everything right. Maybe you've gotten to a place where you let that roll off your back but it's also possible somebody like this brings a little bit of stress into your holidays and they bring some challenge because it often feels like they're, they're keeping you from doing the things that you want to do and their standard is too high. And it's possible that it gets you down about yourself because it seems like this person that you care about won't settle for anything less than perfection from you. And today, I want to show you a person in the Bible who I think might have been like this. And then I want to show you how we can get along with people who are wired this way, even more, why we should value these people, because I think they're incredibly valuable to a family, uh, to a team, to a church. And then I hope if you are this person, you're going to hear some things that you can do to help you get along with others and, and maybe even get along with yourself. It's going to make a little bit more sense in a few minutes. So the person we're going to look at is in Mark 9. Uh, actually, the person we're going to look at, you may have heard of, he is the disciple named John. Now, to be clear, there are multiple Johns in the Bible. There's John the Baptist. Uh, there's John Mark. Uh, this is the one that Jesus comes alongside with his brother James to come be a disciple. He is a fisherman. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that his dad was a guy named Zebedee who owned his own boat, which means he was probably a little bit wealthy, or at least he had a successful business, and that James and John worked for their dad. It's a pretty good guess their dad's plan would be to turn over the business to, to James and John someday. And that means that they are the ones who are hiring the day laborers on the boat to assist their dad, assist themselves with all the work. Now, I tell you that because I imagine when you're John, 
and you're given that kind of responsibility, what comes with it is needing to make sure that everybody is doing what they're doing, what they're hired to do correctly. Because John didn't work for some huge corporation where he might not care about whether his coworkers were affecting the bottom line. He's working for the family business. And if these guys get even one thing wrong, that's a dollar out of your pocket. That's food off of your family's plates. John helped run a business, a small family-owned business, making sure that people followed processes and procedures and did things correctly. It very likely mattered to him and his job. And so... We read in Mark 9 that one day, Jesus and his disciples are in this town called Capernaum, and they're sitting in this house, and Jesus has just spoken to the disciples about how if you want to be first, then you've got to be the very last. You've got to serve other people. All right, take a look at this, Mark 9, 38. Teacher, said John, we saw somebody driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Oh, that is interesting. Presumably, somebody has seen Jesus casting out demons, and they, they know that he has this power. Uh, in fact, earlier in the chapter, it tells the story that a dad brought his son to Jesus, and he said, there's an evil spirit in him because my boy keeps throwing himself in the fire or in water, and he often falls down, and he starts convulsing and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus commanded the spirit to come out. And the kid fell to the ground while the spirit started shrieking, the Bible says. It comes out, and, and then the boy is lying on the ground, looks dead, but Jesus takes him by the hand, lifts him to his feet, and he and his dad go on their merry way, and all is well. So presumably, someone has seen this, and they've thought, wow, Jesus' power can cast out demons, and they've run into someone else who also seems to have a demon or an evil spirit, and, and, and we're going to guess that nothing else has worked. And so this person says, in the name of Jesus, come out, and it works. And just as it happens, the disciples are passing by, and John says, wait a second, wait a second. You don't know Jesus. We know Jesus. Have you even met him? Do you know his birthday? Do you even know his middle name? No, it's not H. Actually, John sticks out his brainy smurf finger, and he probably says, this is not the correct way that demon casting out happens. There is a procedure. There is a process. There is a triplicate form for exorcisms that needs to be filled out. You must submit a request to Jesus or one of us 12 to be on the scene five days in advance. We need holy water. We need crucifixes. If there's vomiting and a spinning head, we need restraints. There is a correct way to do this. And these people don't know what they're doing. This guy has not trained like us. And so later when they're sitting down for the night, John says to Jesus, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, Jesus, and he wasn't doing it right. He was getting it all wrong. But don't worry, Jesus. We told him to stop. And right there, you see John in this thing we've been talking about a little bit this morning, this personality that I am going to call today the accurate one. We see in John the one who is very concerned with making sure that we do things right. Now, take a look at what Jesus says to him. Verse 39. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For, for whoever's not against us is for us. 
Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus says, dude, stop worrying about the rules and the processes and the procedures or or doing things the right way. What matters is people are being freed. Now, Jesus doesn't say that the ends justify the means. No, it's, it's just to say there's such a thing as getting too wrapped up in getting everything right that you end up creating a wrong for everyone else. And that's what I think can often happen with this personality we're just calling the accurate one. Now, in a second, we're going to talk about why this personality is so valuable. And I'm going to show it to you with John, but in case you are this kind of personality, can I just share with you what I think is a great struggle for those around you, and maybe even a struggle you have with yourself, although you probably already know this about you. Your perfectionism can be a little bit difficult to live with. When the people around you feel like they will never be able to satisfy you, or or when they feel like you will never hear a word they say without having to correct them, guess what? They just want to stop talking. Um, Check it out. One time I worked with somebody, um, I won't say where, uh, who I noticed every single time I went to them with an idea, uh, they would point out what was wrong with my idea and why it would never work. And and, and, um, I couldn't tell if it was me with a lot of bad ideas uh, or if it was them, and they were just the kind of person who finds something wrong with everything. And, And so I decided to keep track of how many times in a row I would go to this person with an idea and how many times they would shut it down. I got to 23 consecutive times, and then I just stopped counting. All right, I will admit, none of my ideas were perfect. They never are, but the need to correct everything can drive people away. And I, I, I noticed myself pulling away and feeling like my creativity was stifled and, and, and kind of not wanting to try anymore. And, and maybe what's bigger, I'm, I'm not so sure if you're an accurate one, like, like this perfection isn't something you apply to yourself. About nine years ago, the Chicago White Sox had a, a pitcher, Philip Humber, who pitched a perfect game. In case you don't know what that means, uh, there were no walks, no hits against him. He and his team got 27 batters out in a row. I, I think only 21 people have ever done this in 115 years of baseball. It's a big deal. Well, later that year, the White Sox cut him from the team. Sports Illustrated wrote an article on how somebody could pitch a perfect game and then like get cut by their team eight months later. And, And a mentor of Humber said, it wasn't his talent that caused him to lose the job. It was the unrealistic expectations he set for himself. Humber admitted after the perfect game, he felt like he had to prove that the perfect game was not a fluke that he deserved to be on the list of players who would accomplish this thing, that he was good enough. And so every time he took the mound, he set out to prove he was able to do it perfectly. In the next game, he allowed nine runs in five innings. Two games later, eight runs in two and a third innings before he was pulled. Every time he fell short, he pushed himself even harder. Spent more time than ever in the video room. Kept, uh, kept messing with his grip for his pitches. Ran more. He lifted more. He couldn't understand why he couldn't recapture the magic. And this quest for perfection ruined his season. Got, got him cut from the team. And I wonder, if you are an accurate one, if you 
maybe haven't found the pressure you put on yourself to get it right is destructive for you. That your expectations for you might be unrealistic. And, And I wonder what it would be to let yourself off the hook a little bit. I'm not saying lower your standards, just maybe be willing to not always meet them. Let's talk about why the accurate one is so valuable to us. And and, and as much as having somebody remind the teacher that they forgot to assign the homework is incredibly annoying, let's talk about why we need those people and should celebrate them. And and again, I want you to see this with John. If we we flip over to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, we see a moment that, that Jesus calls John to become a disciple. Verse 21, it says, going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee. They were preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and look at verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. These guys are in the middle of their workday. They're literally mending their nets, getting ready for another day of fishing with their dad. And Jesus comes along, he calls them, and John drops everything and gives his life to following Jesus. And here is what you've got to know about the accurate one. Once they make a decision, they are all in. Once this kind of person has their mind made up, they are usually pretty dang certain, and it means they will be fully committed to the choice that they made. And that means if they've made a decision to marry you, to parent you, to work with you, you know there's a pretty good chance they're going to stay and stick it out. They are loyal. And, And let me be clear why they're loyal. Not because of you in how good you do something or how close you are to perfect in their eyes. They are all in because of them and who they are. When they commit, they really commit. And we should value this kind of person because we need people in our lives who we know are all in. You know what? When I think of people in my life who I, I trust to get something done, it is not the driven people like me. No offense if you're like me. Uh, driven people, we will make you think we're going to get it done because at the beginning we seem really intense and excited about it. But the problem with driven people is we always think we see something else to be driven about, right? We'll be halfway through the thing that we're committed to, see something else that we want to go conquer, and then we're on to the next. But the accurate one is the person who says, hold on, hold on, we're not finished here. It's not complete. And and that's why I trust them. They're not going to stop short. Um, check this out. I think this is kind of cool, and, and, and this should be encouraging if you're an accurate one like John. As Jesus was on the cross, it says in John 19, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, we know that that was John, he saw him standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And he said to John, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple, John, took her into his own home. If Jesus could choose one disciple, one person to take care of his mom after he was gone, he would choose an accurate one. Which brings me to the next reason we should value them. They are trustworthy. They're going to do what they said they're going to do. And they'll do it responsibly. And more often than not, they will get it right or as close to right as anybody ever could. You can trust an accurate one. 
Um, I, I was thinking about this. Let's try something. Uh, so far in the series, you've heard about three different kinds of personalities. We have one more next week. Uh, but, but so far, you've heard about the encouraging one, the supportive one, um, the driven one, or today, the accurate one. Let me ask you something. When you are getting your car fixed, who do you want working on your car? The encouraging one, the driven one, or the accurate one? Who do you want? Yeah, you want the accurate one. All right, how about this? When you're hiring someone to prepare your taxes, who do you want? The encouraging one, the driven one, or the accurate one? Yeah, all right, let's try this. The pilot who is flying your plane. Do you want a, an encourager who's going to say supportive things as you're about to land in Maui? Do you want a driven one whose goal is to get there as fast as possible? Or, or do you want an accurate one who's going to make sure everything about that plane, every readout is reading what it should, every lever is set where it should, and fly the plane right? You want an accurate one. All right, one more. Your heart surgeon. Yeah, I'm going to go with the accurate person. And the reason is I trust them, and so do you. These people, the accurate ones, are usually people of character. They are innately trustworthy, and we've got to value them because they bring some things that can be much harder to find in others who are not wired the same way. So let me tell you how to get along with them. And um, I'll just say as a driven one who cares a, a, a little less about the rules and doing things right, um, I have some experience learning how to get along with accurate ones. So I, I, I'm going to give you five, which means I'm going to go really fast, all right? The first thing that you can do to get along with an accurate one, be truthful, orderly, and dependable. Would you say that with me? I think the accurate ones would appreciate it. Let's say that together. Be truthful, orderly, Independable. That sounds like a lot, right? Good luck. For some of you, I might as well have just said, be perfect. But, but look at these again. That's not it. You don't have to be perfect, but can you be truthful? The fastest way for you to get into conflict with an accurate one is for them to see that you're a little bit of a cheater, that you're always trying to work an angle. And, and dependable. Let's just talk about dependable for a second. Um, I have a hunch that a person I have worked with here for 13 years is an accurate one. And what I'll say about her is if you are regularly late with deadlines, it gets at her. Like, um, I'm the one that if somebody's late, I'm like, hey, no worries, just get it in tomorrow. But she's the one who is like, no, they are late and that's a big deal. That lateness affects this person and this person and this person. And it costs the church money. And do you know, Chris, that they've been late five times in a row? And she's right. And she's an example of a healthy, accurate one. Dependability matters to her. Um, and by the way, I asked her permission to share this, although I won't say her name. And she said, I, I could share it. And then she said, tell the staff that they know who I am and their stuff is due on Tuesday at 8 a.m. <laughs> uh, no, if you want to get along with this person, you've got to be truthful, um, orderly, meaning that these people don't want to live in your mess, and dependable. I went over orderly too fast. Let me go back. These people do not operate well in your mess. Um, if you are messy, and uh, I'm a little bit messy, if your approach is, well, hey, that's just me. Get used to it. Welcome to what you married. Um, and some of you know that's kind of how you think. <laughs> what you don't understand is your mess. Your mess is like kryptonite to them. 
They cannot live in your mess without it weakening their powers, their accuracy powers, and making them miserable. And so if you want to get along, truthful, orderly, dependable. Okay, the second thing, give them the alone time that they need. Not every accurate person, but many accurate people need time alone because their mind is constantly working. They are thinking, and sometimes it can be hard to think when you are always around them, when there's people in their presence nonstop. So if you think you have an accurate person in your life, somebody you work with, somebody you share an apartment with, you're married to, you gave birth to, ask them, do you want me to like scram, get out of your way? Give them alone time. Third one. Um, speaking of thinking, give them time to think before you expect them to answer. Um, can I tell you, I am surrounded here at Crosswinds by verbal processors. Do you know verbal processors who, who, the, who the way they do their thinking is they get with other people and they just talk it out, talk, 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 talk it out. I am surrounded by them. Um, my wife is a verbal processor, has never had a thought that she didn't say out loud, right? Uh, <laughs> Multiple times a day, she will be talking, and I will be the only other person in the room. And I will say, who are you talking to uh, right now? Are you talking to me? And she will say, no, I'm just thinking. And I will say, can you think a little quieter? <laughs> I got a lot of verbal processors around. Accurate ones are usually not verbal processors. They're the ones who need some time to think before they talk. What a refreshing thing. Um. I have another coworker who is like this. Uh, he, he is the first person I, I have literally ever met who wants time to think and knows this about himself. When he first joined our staff, we would meet and I would present a problem in our meeting. And, and I would say, um, hey, what do you think that we should do about this? And I would brace myself for the usual five-minute answer that people around here in my life give me and, and as they think through their answer while they are talking it out. But this person would go... And he would feel very comfortable just sitting, thinking for 30 seconds while I waited. It's kind of great. And it was the first time I've ever known anyone so comfortable in their style, their personality style, to just live it. I am going to think before I talk. Eventually, I said, hey, would it be helpful for me to give you like a day to think about what I'm going to ask you before we meet? And he said, yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, we try to do that. We're not always successful, but we do our best. And you guys, his answers, his thoughts are so good. And if you want to get along with an accurate one, give them time to think. Okay, fourth, um, we know something about accurate ones, right? They tend to notice what's wrong. They tend to notice what's missing. And here's what's true about you. You can either feed into that by pointing out more negative things by creating a culture in your home, in your workplace, in your friendship group that is cynical and negative. Or you can create a culture that is looking for the positive. And another thing you can do to get along with an accurate one is you can help them focus on the good things. You can help some people who might naturally see what's wrong start to notice what is going right. If you create a culture that is constantly picking apart what's wrong because you're not like that and the other people in the circle aren't like that, you will find it easier to get along with them because maybe they won't find it quite so easy to be picking apart what's wrong all the time. So help them focus on what's good. And finally, last but not least, if you want to get along with accurate ones, 
Show them they are loved and appreciated. Um, when I talk to accurate ones, one of the hardest things for them is they know that sometimes they have to be the one that keeps things in order. If you're ever the one who feels like you're the, you always have to be the policeman in your relationships. You, you, you're always the one who's the law and the order, both law and order. Uh, it can be a really difficult thing. The one that's requiring everybody else to do something right. And, and, and they wonder if other people resent them. And, and they know that often people do. And this person needs to know that, that you love you value them, you appreciate them, not just in spite of their personality type or whatever way you think of it, but you love them even because of it, that you are better because of who they are and what they do. Before we go, can I show you one other thing about John, this accurate one who, who shut down people who were doing it wrong? That same guy later went on to write this. He said, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I, I, I think those are the words of an accurate one who knew how important it is for all of these different types of people to get along. Love one another. It's almost as if he's saying, even me. I, I want to challenge you this week. In this holiday season, as you, as you think about the, the accurate ones in your life, how is it you can show them your love and your appreciation and your gratitude for what they bring? Maybe it's an actual thank you. Maybe the greatest way is to become a little bit more trustworthy and orderly and dependable. All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, we have been saying it every week. Thank you for creating us all so different. Thank you for wiring us each to bring unique things to our relationships, to our families, to our workplaces. We are so blessed because we are not the same. And God, as we look at this personality type today, God, as we look at this person of John in the Bible, we know you've put them into our lives for a reason, into our families, into our churches. So God, may we value them. May we let them know how much we love them. And God, may they be free to bring what they bring to make us all better. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.